Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mr Alex Chalk. Number one, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, last Sunday marked the one-year anniversary of the London Bridge terrorist attack. I and others from this House attended the very moving memorial service at Southwark Cathedral, and I am sure members from all sides of this House will join me again in offering our deepest condolences to friends and families of the victims. And I would also again like to pay tribute and take this opportunity to pay tribute to the extraordinary bravery that the emergency services and those who came to the aid of others showed on that night. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Alex Chaw. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And I'd like to associate myself, if I may, with those remarks about London Bridge. Mr Speaker, the number of children growing up in workless households in the United Kingdom has fallen to a record low. Does the Prime Minister agree that to further drive opportunity and social mobility in our country, it is vital to support projects like the Cheltenham Cyber Park so that in the future all our children can go as far as their talents will take them? Prime Minister! I agree with my uh, honourable friend. It is important that we ensure that all children have the opportunity to go as far as their talents will take them, and initiatives like the Cheltenham Cyber Park are an important element in that. But the wider point he makes is absolutely right. If we are going to ensure that we lift people out of poverty, as we have been doing, then helping them to get into the workplace is the most important thing we can do. And that's why, thanks to this Government's economic strategy, we see employment up to another record high and unemployment at a 40-year low. And, as my honourable friend has alluded to, we see one million fewer people in absolute poverty than since 2010. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I too attended the service last Sunday in memory of those that died at London Bridge, and I'd like to put on record my thanks to Southwark Cathedral and the Borough of Southwark for all the work they put into that, and of course thanking all our emergency services that keep us safe all the year round. And yesterday I was able to give that in person to the Fire Brigades Union Conference in Brighton and thank them for the work that they do to keep us all safe. Last month, Mr Speaker, the Brexit Secretary promised, and I quote, a detailed, ambitious and precise white paper on the Government's negotiating position. Will it be published in advance of the EU withdrawal debate next week? Prime Minister. I say to the right honourable gentleman, first of all, that I would also echo the comments he made about the work our emergency services do day in and day out to keep us safe. And I think everybody across this House recognises that, and we are all grateful to them for the dedication that they show. Uh, yes, my right honourable friend, the Brexit Secretary, and I agree that we want to publish a white paper that goes beyond the speeches. That goes that goes beyond the speeches and the papers that have been given and published so far, that does go into more details, and that ensures that when we publish that white paper, we are able to, we are able to negotiate with our European Union and European Commission uh, colleagues on that, on the basis that this is an ambitious offer from the United Kingdom for an ambitious trade deal and security partnership in the future. Jeremy Corbyn. 
Well, the question was a very simple one, actually. It was when will this white paper be published? Because next week we'll be debating the most important piece of legislation for a very long time, and we still have not seen the government's negotiating position. So can the Prime Minister at least assure the House that not only will the white paper be published ahead of the crucial June EU summit, but also there will be an opportunity to debate it in this House ahead of the summit? Minister talks about the vote that is going to take place in this House next week in the EU withdrawal bill. And indeed, those votes will be important. They will be important to show our commitment to do what the British people have asked us to do, which is to leave the European Union. And if he's talking about clarity ahead of those votes, perhaps the right honourable gentleman would take this opportunity of doing what he refused to do when I asked him last time in Prime Minister's questions, which is... which is... which is to stand... Which is order. Mr Yassin, calm yourself. You're normally a model of calm and repose. Relax. There's a long way to go. Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Perhaps the right honourable gentleman would like to take the opportunity of doing what he refused to do uh, two or three weeks ago in this chamber, which is to stand up and rule out a second referendum. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker. The last time I looked at the order paper, it said Prime Minister's question time. And we were told, Mr Speaker, three weeks ago, to a great deal of fanfare, that this document, this white paper, would set out the government's ambition for the UK's future relationship with the EU and their vision for a future role in the world. It's nowhere to be seen. No answer is there as to when it will be published. Four weeks ago, the Prime Minister did confirm that the Cabinet was looking at two options for a future customs arrangement with the EU, a customs partnership model and a maximum facilitation option. Can the Prime Minister now tell us which of her subcommittees has met, what decisions they've made, when they're going to report to the Cabinet, and will we be told about it? Prime Minister! I say to the right honourable gentleman that we have already set out our ambition for our future relationship with the European Union. But crucially, crucially, what we are doing as a government is delivering on the vote of the British people, which is to leave the European Union. And I know that the right honourable gentleman, I didn't ask him a question. I simply suggested that he could stand up and say what the Labour Party policy was on a second referendum. this debate next week in the right spirit, then he will do just that and rule out a second referendum. Jeremy Corbyn! Speaker, it's not the opposition that are conducting the negotiations. But uh, very sadly, Mr Speaker, it's not the government either. Last week, the Brexit Secretary put forward yet another new plan, including a 10-mile buffer zone in Northern Ireland. Is that now the government's option? Prime Minister! To the right honourable gentleman. We are looking at a number of... uh, We're looking at the two options for the customs model. Both of those... 
both of those, both of those will do what we have committed to do, which is to ensure that we deliver no hard border in Northern Ireland. And we have been very clear in the December joint report about what that means. It also means that we ensure that there is no border between Great Britain and Northern Ireland, no border down the Irish Sea as the European Union proposed. Uh, and that is why we are putting forward alternative proposals to the European Union in relation to that issue. And we continue to negotiate with the European Union on all of the issues that need to be addressed before we actually bring legislation before this House full withdrawal agreement and implementation bill. And I say to the right honourable gentleman, I say to the right honourable gentleman that when we look at what is going to be the important debate that will take place in this House next week, because it is an important it is an important debate that will show the sincerity of this House to deliver on the vote of the British people to leave the European Union. Speaker, we've had no answer on the white paper, and I don't think we've had an answer on the buffer zone, but I could say the one thing the buffer zone proposal has achieved is bringing just about everybody in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland together, and it was described by the Irish Chamber of Commerce who said the idea is bonkers. So can the Prime Minister confirm that it remains her plan to leave the European Union in March 2019 and complete the transition by December 2020? Prime Minister? Yes. Jeremy Corbyn! Well, Mr Speaker, I look at the faces behind her and they're not all of one on this matter. The Right Honourable Member for Ashford doesn't share her certainty. He said there will be a transition period that will, that will follow her implementation period. Mr Speaker, when it comes to Brexit, this Government has delivered more delays and more cancellations than Northern Rail. The Government's white paper is delayed. Its customs proposals have been cancelled and it's ripped up its own timetable, just like our shambolic privatised railways. This government, this government's incompetence threatens our economy, businesses, jobs and our communities. So my question, my question to the Prime Minister is this, which will last longer? the Northern Rail franchise or her premiership? to the right honourable gentleman that if he's not if he's not willing to stand up in this house and talk about the Labour Party policy on Europe we actually learned we actually learned a little today from the shadow Brexit secretary about the Labour Party's policy on Europe where he where he made clear that it was a pretense and I, I quote a pretense that somehow everybody in the Labour Party is in the same place on this so now we know what the right honourable gentleman is Labour voted for a referendum they voted to trigger Article 50, and since then they have tried to frustrate the Brexit process at every stage. Their MEPs, their MEPs voted against moving on to negotiate the trade discussions. They voted against the withdrawal bill. Today we saw again they are refusing to rule out a second referendum. 
The British people voted to leave the European Union, and it is this government that is delivering on the vote of the British people. Speaker, I know you're keen to learn more about blockchain, so I've written a paper on it for the think tank Freer to help inform the people of Blockswitch about the possible benefits of this technology. With some countries saving up to 2% of GDP by deploying this technology, will the Prime Minister commit to harnessing this to ensure the UK remains at the forefront of this technology as we forge a greater global Britain? Can I thank my honourable friend for the work that he's done on distributed ledger technology, as I think we should uh, call it. But we are committed to supporting development and uptake of emerging digital technologies in the UK, such as AI and uh, DLT. The government's invested around £10 million through Innovate UK and our research councils. The Treasury and the Bank of, England, uh, Bank of England are working on cryptocurrencies and looking at these uh, issues in a working group together. And we're deploying the technology he's referred to to help government discharge our duties more effectively. And many departments are already developing DLT proofs of concept. But I thank uh, my honourable friend for the work that he has done, and he might like to distribute the uh, article and the work that he's done to all members of this House. Mr. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Supermarkets running out of food within days. Hospitals running out of medicines within a fortnight. Petrol reserves dwindling after just two weeks. These are the concerns of UK government officials. And now the. Order, there is excessive noise in the chamber. Mr Wishart, you're a very distinguished fellow, but you're not conducting an orchestra, and your services in that regard are not required, at any rate not on this occasion. Mr Blackford's question must be heard, and however long it takes, it will be heard. Mr Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. These are the concerns of UK government officials, and now the Dutch government are telling Dutch businesses not to risk buying UK products. Does the Prime Minister understand the catastrophic negotiating position she has cornered herself into? Prime Minister. What we have uh, already set out is our ambition for that trade deal with the European Union in the future. But he refers to the wishes and desires of the Scottish. He talks about supermarkets in Scotland uh, and supermarkets across the rest of the UK. Of course, he might pay attention to the supermarket chains in Scotland, who said that the most import, one of the most important things for Scotland is to remain part of the United Kingdom. Ian I mean, quite simply, the Prime Minister didn't listen to the question because it's about the fears which are being raised by her own officials yes, to the consequences of Brexit. For this government in the negotiations, jobs have been an afterthought. The Irish border has been an afterthought. The economy at all costs has been an afterthought. While the Leader of the Opposition is playing games, the question he should have asked today is, Will the Prime Minister stop her charade and vote for the Lord's Amendments next week for membership of the EEA and the Customs Union, protecting jobs and prosperity? Prime Minister! Uh, 
Can I say to the right honourable gentleman, jobs are absolutely at the forefront of what we're considering in terms of our future trade partnership. That's why we are as ambitious as we are for the possibilities of that economic partnership in the future. And he talks about the Northern Ireland border. The Leader of the Opposition complains that we're giving too much attention to getting the answer right for the Northern Ireland border. And the Leader of the Scottish Nationalists says that we're, we're using it as an afterthought. We are committed to ensuring that there is no hard border between Northern Ireland and Ireland. We also want to ensure as frictionless trade as possible with the European Union and that we are able to operate our independent trade policy. All of those are about ensuring that we protect jobs here in the United Kingdom. Chris Kidmore. Mr Speaker, the 2nd of July marks the 90th anniversary of the passing of the Equal Franchise Act where women won the equal right to vote as men. To celebrate this, the Government has established the first National Democracy Week taking place that week. Will the Prime Minister personally support National Democracy Week and encourage all members to get involved in the week? Prime Minister! Can I I thank my honourable friend for highlighting the upcoming National Democracy Week? This is important. I certainly support it. I hope everybody across this House does. Because as it falls, as my honourable friend has said, on the 90th anniversary of the Equal Franchise Act, uh, the week gives us the opportunity to look back to see how far we have come uh, as a flourishing democracy. But it also gives us an opportunity to challenge champion and encourage greater democratic participation across the country. That is something that I hope every member of this House would support and will support National Democracy Week in doing so. Mr Steve Reid. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'd like to give the Prime Minister another chance to answer the question that she keeps avoiding. The Cabinet agreed to publish a Brexit white paper ahead of this month's Crunch EU Council meeting to allow the Government to negotiate. The Brexit Secretary said it would be detailed, ambitious and precise. So will she confirm whether the Brexit white paper will be published before the EU Council meeting, or is she unable to negotiate for the UK because she's negotiating with her own cabinet? Prime Minister! What, What the government said is that we will be publishing a white paper which will be detailed and ambitious, and we will do just that. Bill Grant! Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. In the light of the publication of the SNP's latest independence blueprint, does the Prime Minister agree with the vast majority of Scots that this is not the time to drag us back to another decisive referendum on independence? Prime Minister! Can I say to my honourable friend, the people of Scotland voted. They voted in what was a legal, a fair referendum to remain part of the United Kingdom. And I can only think that the, it's the SNP who are completely out of touch with the people of Scotland who are continuing to press this issue on, uh, on independence. Now is not the time for a second independence referendum. Now is the time for the United Kingdom to be pulling together to get the right deal for the United Kingdom and the right deal for Scotland in our negotiations. And as I indicated earlier, as is recognised by many across Scotland, the most important thing for the future of Scotland is to continue to be part of the UK's internal market. Jim Shannon. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Together with my DUP colleagues and across all parties in Northern Ireland, I very much welcome the announcement yesterday by the Transport Secretary of Government's support for a third runway at Heathrow. In order to secure additional jobs for the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, business growth and to realise tourism potential, can I ask the Prime Minister to ensure that there is no undue delay in scheduling a vote on this very important matter. 
Well, Prime I, Minister. Can I first of all thank the Honourable Gentleman for the words of support that he's given for the third runway at Heathrow? Uh, and can I say to him that, that we will ensure that this vote is brought to this House in a timely fashion? There is a, there is a requirement for it to be brought within a certain period of time, and we will ensure that that happens. This is an opportunity to increase job opportunities. It's also an opportunity to increase connectivity with other parts of the United Kingdom, which in itself will be of benefit to jobs in other parts of the UK. Even Metcalf. Uh, thank you, Mr. Yeah, Speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as my right honourable friend is aware, this government is investing more in national infrastructure than any previous government, from HS2 to the new Lower Thames Crossing. However, we must never forget the personal sacrifice people are asked to make to allow these projects to progress. Will my right honourable friend therefore remind the various government agencies involved that they have a duty of care to our constituents and that they should ensure that no one is materially disadvantaged or physically harmed in the name of investment? Minister. I say to my honourable friend, he makes two important points. The first is the importance and the significance of the investment that is being put into infrastructure across the country. And the second is that, of course, as we do that, we must make sure, uh, when we're putting these large infrastructure uh, projects into place, that they're planned in consultation with and with sympathy towards local communities. And, of course, as we see with the proposals for Heathrow, for example, uh, that does come with a significant compensation package for those people who will be personally affected. Melanie, on. Thank you, Mr hospital has been forced to spend £50,000 a month not on patient care but on fees for doctors' visas. 85% of those have been rejected because of restrictions that the Prime Minister imposed as Home Secretary, (laughs) preventing my local NHS from recruiting the doctors my constituents need. It's a waste of taxpayers' money. It's hitting patient care. When will she exempt NHS staff from the cap? Minister. I've said, uh, as I've said before in this House, we are aware of the issue that has been raised about that. We have already, we have already taken action in relation to nurses. We are looking at the uh, most recent figures and considering what action should be taken. Michelle Donnellan. amounts in relation to the roles done. Some town council clerks earn up to £90,000 a year. Chief executives of councils earn up to £250,000 a year. And we still have too many managers in the NHS earning up to £200,000 a year. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that it's important that we always ensure taxpayers' money is spent responsibly and that this money would be better off spent on our nurses, our police officers, our firefighters and our frontline services? Well, I'm sure my honourable friend uh, understands and recognises that alongside other terms and conditions, pay is uh, a matter for authorities to manage as individual employers. Of course, since 2010, the Government has put in place a number of measures to increase accountability and transparency on senior pay. The Accounts and Audit Regulations 2015 and Transparency Code 2015 require authorities to publish details of senior salaries for staff earning £50,000 or more, which is uh, why we are now able to see the sums that are being earned. And We are also legislating on measures on another issue that has been of concern, I know, to members in this House, on capping payoffs at £95,000 and clawing back redundancy payments 
Government should a worker return to the public sector within 12 months of their exit, making sure that taxpayers' money is spent responsibly. Lloyd Russell Moyle. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last year, a quarter of young people thought about suicide. One in nine attempted suicide. Young people are three times more likely to be lonely than older people. Knife crime is up, gang crime is up, and there are less opportunities for young people than ever before. 68% of our youth services have been cut since 2010, with young people nowhere to go, nothing to do, and no one to speak to. Is it now time for a statutory youth service? Will the Prime Minister support my 10-minute rule bill after PMQs? I think nice try is the answer to the Honourable Gentleman, but what I will say, he said that there were fewer opportunities for young people here in this country. Can I just point out to him the considerable uh, improvement that has been in the opportunities of young people to get into work and the way we've seen youth unemployment coming down? Justine Greening. Heathrow have played an absolute blinder with the DFT. They're a privately owned company that now have DFT policy to give them an active monopoly status. Better still for them, they've somehow managed to get a poison pill agreed by the DFT, clause agreed by the DFT, that means the taxpayer has to cover all their costs if things go wrong. Isn't this the worst kind of nationalisation? The public sector and taxpayers owning all of the Heathrow downsides and risks, but the private sector owning all of the upside and financial returns. Prime Minister. Can I say to my right honourable friend, yesterday's decision to support Heathrow's expansion, I think, demonstrates this government's commitment to delivering the jobs and major infrastructure that this country needs to thrive. But the airport expansion will be fully financed by the private sector. The statement of principles is clear that it does not give Heathrow Airport Limited the right to claim any costs or losses from government should their scheme not proceed. Martin Day. Thank you. Beige announced limits to the renewable heat incentive for large projects, which places in jeopardy delivery of landmark renewable energy projects in strategically important industrial areas such as Grangemouth and my constituency, where the limit is inconsequential relative to the amount of heat energy required. Therefore, what actions will the Prime Minister take to ensure the future of the Grangemouth renewable energy project? Prime Minister. He's raised a specific issue about the Grange uh, Mouth Renewable Energy Project. My right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Scotland, will be happy to meet with him and discuss that issue with him. Mr. Henry Smith. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. A majority of my Crawley constituents want to see their trains arrive without delay, and a majority of my Crawley constituents want to see Brexit arrive without delay. Please, can we have delivery? Prime Minister. Can I say to my honourable friend that we, of course, are taking action in relation to the issues on uh, the railways to ensure that we do see uh, the trains being able to arrive without uh, without delay, and we will be leaving the European Union on the 29th of March 2019, and the implementation period will last to the end of December 2020. That is our commitment, and that is what is going to happen. Sweeney. My constituent Georgie is 10 years old. He was tragically orphaned in February. He has lived in Glasgow since he was three years old. His only language is English, and he speaks it with the same accent as I do. Yet he now faces being deported to Georgia, his late mother's country of birth, becoming another statistic that suffers at the hands of this Prime Minister's hostile environment policy. Will the Prime Minister promise today 
that Georgie will not, under any circumstances, be torn from his school friends in Glasgow and sent to a country that is entirely foreign to him. Mr. has raised a very specific individual case. It is right that that individual case be looked at properly, and that is what I will ask the Home Office to do. Adam Afria. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. I think members across the House will recognise the role that animals play during the course of war, both in, both in their sacrifice but also their support. I'd like to thank the Prime Minister for meeting with the War Horse Memorial Group from Windsor. The unveiling will take place this Saturday, and I'm very proud of the work they've done. Um, does the Prime Minister agree with me that the recognition of the role of animals in war is something which can unite the Commonwealth and the entire world with us. Prime Minister. My honourable friend, that I absolutely agree with him, and I have been pleased to see the model, the marquette of the the War Horse Memorial, which is going to be unveiled in his constituency this weekend, and I'm pleased to say that that uh, that model is actually now in Downing Street. So we have recognised the importance that animals played in warfare, and I'm sure that the the, uh, memorial, when it goes up in his constituency will also remind many more people that we should never forget of the part, the part that animals played. Thelma Walker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the Prime Minister will join me in congratulating my honourable friends on this side of the House celebrating the first anniversary of our election this week. Prime Minister. In December, the four remaining members of the Social Mobility Commission resigned, with the Chair citing the Government's inability to devote the necessary energy and focus to the social mobility agenda. Does the fact that several key roles on the Commission were left unfilled for almost two years reflect this government's lack of commitment to achieving not just social mobility for the few, but true social justice for the many. Prime Minister. Can I say to the Honourable Lady that I congratulate all members of the House who uh, came into this House in uh, the 2017 general election, including those of my colleagues on uh, this side of the chamber. And uh, I, I hope I hope others of my colleagues will will, um, not take it amiss if I say particularly the 12 Scottish Conservatives at that election. Can I say to the Honourable Lady, in relation to the issue of social mobility, uh, this is something that this Government does indeed take very seriously. We take it seriously through the policies that we are implementing to help to ensure that our young people get the skills that they need, as my Honourable Friend from Cheltenham was talking about in the first question, to ensure that they can take the jobs of the future. I want a country where how far somebody gets on is not a reflection of their background or where they come from, but is a reflection of their abilities and their willingness to work hard. Mrs. Theresa Villiers. Can I urge the Prime Minister to do everything she can to ensure that Network Rail and GTR get a grip and bring to an end appalling delays suffered by my constituents on the Great Northern? Minister. Can I say to uh, my right honourable friend that I absolutely recognise the problem that passengers have faced. Uh, and it is the passengers have been let down, delays that passengers have been experiencing are unacceptable, and we need to ensure, and that's why we need to take immediate action, and that's what the Department of Transport is doing. Jay Platt. Thank you, Mr. ADHD is a condition that affects every part of an individual's life, from education and employment to relationships and social lives. And through the work of the APPG on ADHD, which I chair, 
We know that current diagnosis and treatment process is not fit for purpose. Data is not collected and there is a vast postcode lottery of waiting times. Will the Prime Minister therefore commit to collect and monitor this data and create a process that puts the needs of people with ADHD first? Prime Minister. Well, can I first of all say to the Honourable Lady, I commend the work that she is doing with your party uh, group on this particular issue, and I know that she takes this issue as she has expressed through her question very seriously. And uh, as she will probably know, NICE has published guidance which aims to improve the diagnosis of ADHD and the quality of care of support that people receive. Um, But she raises a particular issue about the um, uh, data that is available. Um, The National... uh, The National Institute for Health Research has awarded 800,000 to fund research to help identify existing services and gaps in provisions for young adults with ADHD. But on the data issue, the Department of Health and Social Care is exploring what data on ADHD diagnosis could be made accessible through the Mental Health Services data set. Mark Francois. Thank you very much. At his valedictory address yesterday morning, the Chief of the Defence Staff said that he was very concerned about the growing practice of legacy investigations into British servicemen and veterans, often many, many years after the events in question. Within this House, there is also growing concern at the prospect of brave servicemen being effectively scapegoated by others for political or financial gain. We call our servicemen and women heroes. We should treat them accordingly. So would the Prime Minister be prepared to at least entertain some investigation into the concept of a statute of limitations in order to protect those who have served on the front line and also those who will follow them in the future? Prime Minister. To my honourable friend, uh, as he said in his question, We don't just call our servicemen and women heroes. They are heroes. They are incredibly brave. They put themselves on the front line for our safety. And we owe a vast debt of gratitude to our servicemen and women who have sown such heroism and bravery over the years. What we do want to ensure is that we don't see our servicemen and women, and indeed in relation to uh, legacy issues in Northern Ireland police officers, being the sole subject of investigations, which is what is happening at the moment. I want to ensure that terrorists are investigated for past crimes as well, and that is why uh, the Secretary of State has launched the consultation on legacy issues, and it is, of course, open to people to respond to that consultation. But I think we should recognise the importance of ensuring that these matters are dealt with fairly and proportionately, and I want to ensure that a focus is put and that the uh, investigation is possible for the terrorists, and not just as we see today servicemen and women and police officers being under investigation and the terrorists not being investigated. Christian Matheson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can the Prime Minister tell the House, has her hostile environment immigration policy been a success or a failure? Prime Minister. What can I say to the Honourable Gentleman? It is absolutely right that as a government over the years since 2010, we have taken action against illegal immigration. And I am pleased pleased to say that we have been removing illegal immigrants from this country. 
And yes, we have tightened the conditions to ensure that we can take action against illegal immigrants. What is important is that we ensure that people who are here legally are not caught up in those actions for those who are here illegally. But I hope that the Labour Party will understand and recognise and support the need which sadly from one or two comments from the Labour Party front bench suggests they don't, that when people are here illegally, we should be taking action against them. Chris Davis. Thank you, you, Mr Speaker. The biggest challenge between the Commons and the Lords takes place next week. Yes, I'm referring to the Lords versus Commons pigeon race. (laughs) This has been revived after a gap of 90 years and takes place at Bletchley Park next Wednesday. Each member of both houses has been asked to sponsor a pigeon and the money will go to Combat Stress, that excellent charity. So would my right honourable friend join me in not only wishing this revived great event success, but also sponsoring a pigeon? Prime Minister. Yes, can I say can I say to my honourable friend, I'd be happy to do I'd be happy to do so. And while there was a little bit of laughter when he asked his question about the uh, about this pigeon race, actually it is an extremely good cause. It is raising money for combat stress. We've just made the point about the bravery of our servicemen and women. We should support them in every way we can, and I'm happy to sponsor a pigeon and I would encourage every member of this House to do so as well. Liz Savile-Roberts. The Brexit vote means families are already £900 a year worse off, while both Tories and Labour peddle the fiction of single market rewards without responsibility. I ask the Prime Minister and her honourable friends in the opposition how much poorer will families become as they indulge in fantasy politics. (laughs) Prime Minister! I've made made clear to this House the ambition we have for our future economic partnership. Can I say to the Honourable Lady, uh, she stands up and talks about fantasy politics. Well, perhaps she'd like to go out and speak to the people of Wales, who I might remind her voted to leave the European Union. David Duquette. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does my right honourable friend share my disappointment and astonishment that Labour and SNP MEPs last week ignored the interests of British fishermen when they voted to back the European Parliament in their attempts to prove to keep the UK inside the common fisheries policy? And will she confirm today that she still intends for the UK to become a fully independent coastal state? Prime Minister. Can I say to my honourable friend, I find it extraordinary that the SNP and the Labour Party are supporting her continued membership of the common fisheries policy. This party, the Conservative Party, is the party that will take the United Kingdom out of the common fisheries policy and ensure we can become an independent uh, fishing state, as my honourable friend has referred to. Jim Cunningham. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Despite the Prime Minister's claims that she's put more money into education, she's but she's claimed that she's put one and a half billion into education, but over the last two years they've got about four billion out of education. Mm. With classroom sizes rising, pe- teachers pay cap, school budgets cut. That's What's right. the Prime Minister going to do about it? Yeah. Yeah. Prime Minister! The Honourable Gentleman, that I don't recognise the uh, description that he has set out. We have indeed put, we have indeed put more money into uh, education in our schools, and through our national funding formula, we are ensuring that that has a fairer distribution across schools uh, in, this, uh, in this country, and we're making more money available for schools over these next two years. 
Andrea Jenkins. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We all appreciate what an extremely difficult job the Prime Minister has in striving for the best possible deal for our country regarding Brexit. But hasn't the time come that we reiterate to our EU friends, echoing the words of the Prime Minister herself, that no deal is better than a bad deal. And could I ask my right honourable friend, in what circumstances is she prepared to walk away from the negotiations, saving the British taxpayer billions of pounds? Can I say to my honourable friend, she's absolutely right, she's absolutely right that I have said consistently that no deal is better than a bad deal, uh, and I have also said that we are working to ensure that we get the right deal and the best deal possible for the United Kingdom. But we recognise the importance of ensuring that as a country we prepare for all scenarios, and that is why government departments are preparing for uh, uh, looking at the uh, uh, issue of a no deal, because they're preparing for all contingencies. That is absolutely right for them to do so. Some of the arrangements that will be put in place for a deal would be the same as arrangements for a no deal, and the, government, uh, the Treasury has, of course, made money available to government departments to ensure they're able to make all the preparations necessary. Walsingham School in my constituency has been forced to suspend its sixth form as a result of years of cuts to post-16 education by this ruthless government and a national funding formula which discriminates against smaller rural communities and their schools. The Education Secretary has washed his hands of the issue and as a result people in my community, young people, will face four hours of more journey just for, just for education. Walsingham is the first to face this crisis but sixth form across the country will collapse under the current funding situation. Will the Prime Minister intervene to help our schools, but the broader network of six forms and six form colleges too? Well, can I say to the Honourable Lady that uh, I'm pleased that she's raised the issue of Walsingham. I well remember Walsingham from the time when I stood uh, in uh, the North West Durham seat. But the Government is spending... The Government is spending... Yes, I wasn't successful there, but... I hope he's not being suggested that that is some sort of savage personal indictment of the Prime Minister. It probably wasn't very propitious territory at the time. The Prime Minister. Can I say to the Honourable Lady, I understand the decision to suspend recruitment to Walsingham School Sixth Form was actually made by the school governing body after the student numbers fell in recent years, um, and that there are other good and outstanding school sixth forms and colleges available within travelling distance of Weardale. Some young people already are choosing to access those rather than the local school sixth form. But the local authority is looking at the question of future travel arrangements. That is a responsibility that they have in relation to post-16 transport. And our new national funding formula for pre-16 school funding will indeed help to safeguard rural schools uh, and by ensuring that we do have uh, a more appropriate funding formula across the country. And there's a lump sum in respect of every school and additional support for small rural schools. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Will the Prime Minister join me in congratulating four schools in Redditch, Ingborough First School, Woodfield Academy, Crabs Cross and Ridgeway, who have received nearly a million pounds to improve their buildings, helping our young people get a great start in life? Does she agree it's only due to our strong management of the economy we're able to invest so much to help our young people up and down the country? 
honourable friend makes a very important point. I'm very happy to uh, join her in welcoming the funding that is available to the four schools in Redditch that she has cited. Uh, this is only possible because we are able to put more money into our schools and education, precisely because we are managing a strong economy and a balanced approach to our economy that means much, makes uh, sure that that money is available, as opposed to a Labour Party that in government would borrow more, spend more, tax more, and leave this country on br- to brink of bankruptcy. Finally for today, Sandy Martin. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Following the tragic murder of a 17-year-old on Saturday, in broad daylight, in front of his friends, will the Prime Minister agree to meet with me and with the Police and Crime Commissioner for Suffolk to discuss how such violent crimes might be prevented in Ipswich in the future? Prime Minister. To the Honourable Gentleman, that, uh, of course, we are deeply concerned about incidents such as the crime, such as the one that he has, uh, as he has referenced, that has taken place in his own constituency. Um, the uh, former Home Secretary has already, uh, had already published a serious violence strategy, and the current Home Secretary will be taking that, uh, that issue forward. And, of course, I'm sure that the Home Office will look very carefully at this issue to ensure that we are seeing, working with the police, every effort being made to ensure that actually out there we're taking the steps necessary to deal with serious, uh, serious violence. And I'll ask the Home Office Minister if he will be prepared to meet with the Honourable Gentleman to discuss it. Thank you.